wanted to start with saying, you know, what is it that you do and, and why do you do it? I help people to help themselves through mindfulness, movement, uh, meditation. Uh, my main focus is recovery. Because my own experience in addiction recovery for, for the past 20 years, but I believe that at the height of recovery is just transformation and change. And we're all moving through transformation and change. So I think we're all in a state of recovery all the time. And what I like to do and what I feel called to do is just to help people to live more joyous, conscious, healthier lives with a move, with a, a focus around movement and the healing power of movement. In your, in your book, you talk a lot about the idea of, of movement and breath work when it comes to this, when it comes to self-care and to healing, how did, I've never heard anybody talk about it like that. So what, what prompted this idea of movement as part of the, the healing process? Well, just from my own experience, uh, movement has been a part of my life ever since I was a young boy. I often like to joke and say that I, I, I jumped out of my mother's body moving. Like I was right. just dancing from the moment I was born. And when I was a kid living through some pretty traumatic experiences, that one of the things that brought me relief was movement. Uh, every time you turn around, I was twirling around the house like Wonder Woman or I was dancing to music on the radio. And it helped me to feel better in my body and it helped me to just manage my life at such a young age. I just intuitively felt called to do that. And of course, over time, that just developed and grew and, 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 and became what it is today for me. But I know the healing power of movement. I know that through all of my training as a dancer, as a Pilates instructor, as a Qigong instructor. And one of the things that really brought home that lesson for me was when I was in Chinese medicine school and I was going through a pretty traumatic, not traumatic, but really stressful experience. And the thing that saved me was the Qigong, the ancient Chinese practice of Qigong, because it helped me to deal with the tension that was building on my body as a result of the stress that I was under. And I think many people can relate to the feeling of being under stress and also the tension that it can bring to the body. And then also just the turbulent emotions I was going through, movement helped to move the energy. So there's physical energy in the body, right? Just in terms of the physical body, but then there's also subtler energies like emotional energy and our thoughts and our consciousness, and they're all connected. And the thing about movement um, coupled with breath is that it has the ability to move and circulate energy and energy is designed to move and to circulate. And when it doesn't, it becomes stagnant. And when it's stagnant, that's when it leads to disease. That's when it leads to difficult uh, experiences with emotions and a chaotic mind. What is Qigong? Qigong is an ancient Chinese healthcare system that combines flowing movement, standing postures, deep breathing, and focused intention to activate, cultivate, and circulate life force energy. Um, when you take the word Qigong and you break it down in half, Qi means energy and breath, and Gong means work or skill. And the practice of Qigong is a practice of becoming more skillful at managing our own energy, our physical energy, our emotional energy, our mental energy, and spiritual energy. So is it like a form of meditation? 
it's a i think of it as a moving meditation okay. it's a moving meditation uh, and it's a wonderful complement to traditional meditation i think for a lot of people when we think about meditation we think about sitting cross-legged on a cushion right. uh, for 20 minutes to an hour and just being still and trying to quiet your mind and that is something that's very intimidating for people some people have a very hard time sitting still the beautiful thing about Qigong is that it's a mindful movement meditation because you're just moving your body with awareness and connecting your movements with your breath. Mm. And Qigong is a wonderful practice to do in and of itself, but also leading you into a traditional meditation. It's much easier, at least for me, to sit still after I've moved my body for a period of time. Then I'm able to calm the body and relax the mind and focus. Well, that makes a lot of sense. It's Something that I've thought about a lot lately, talking with other mental health professionals, you know, everybody kind of knows that there's benefits to meditation. And I've always struggled with it, like you said, because you have this uh, stereotypical idea of what it is where you have to sit, you have to be doing these chants or something and completely like, you know, free your mind or, or, or clear your mind of things. And it's hard to do. So I like the idea of something where it's like, you know, meditation can be specific to to what works for you almost would you absolutely agree? yeah absolutely the thing that changed for me with meditation you know part of 12-step uh, recovery which is part of my background is prayer and meditation and and i remember hearing people talk about prayer and meditation hearing people talk about the 11th step and and i had found myself not having a problem with prayer. Prayer was something that was pretty easy for me, but the whole idea of sitting still and meditating, which is basically listening. They say prayer is talking to your higher power and meditation is listening. Um, the listening was really hard for me. And I think because I had all these preconceived notions about it, and it wasn't until I heard someone say that meditation could be as simple as you sitting down in the kitchen while you're waiting for the water to boil for your coffee or your tea, and just taking some deep breaths and maybe looking out the window. And in that time it takes for the water to boil is a meditation. Like it can be that simple. And when I heard that, it was a, that was a game changer for me. Is, is the meditation in this, um, like this form of self-care for you, is that what helps you every day kind of battle those, you know, that, that the thoughts of the addiction or kind of just getting through that, that recovery process, or is it far enough behind you now that it, it's become easier? I think, it's both. <laughs> it's really both. Yeah, yeah, I think that even though I have, have I have twenty a little over twenty years of sobriety, I'm just as susceptible to taking a, picking up a drink or taking a drug as anyone else. Mm. Yeah, maybe I have a few more tools in my pocket that I could use to help me deal with the uncomfortable emotions that that are the precursor to picking up a drink or a drug. I have that, but I'm not immune to it, and it's. Recovery is an ongoing process. It's not like you recover and it's like one and you're done. It's it's an ongoing process because we grow, we change, life grows, life changes, challenges um, come and go. Some are great, some are small. And it's like I said before at the beginning of our, of our talk, it's all about self-care and, mm -hmm. and we constantly have to work at taking care of ourselves uh, in, in all ways, shapes, and forms. And the thing about addiction is it's a chronic disease, you know, but it's centered in the mind um, and the brain. And when we look at other diseases like diabetes or heart disease, 
it's something that once you have it, it's something that you have to learn how to manage. And it's the same thing with addiction. It's like, you have to just learn how to, how to manage it. I don't, I could take a drink today and, and, and it might be that I take a drink and it's one drink. It's unlikely given my history. Um, one was never enough. And so it's just something I have to work at and it's an ongoing thing. And meditation helps me. It, it absolutely helps me because it helps to quiet my mind. It helps me to just bring myself into the present moment. I think so much of the stresses in life are based on the past, like looking back at the past with regret or staring towards the future with fear or worry um, and a lack of faith and optimism. So where I hold power within myself is in the present moment, in the now. And the now always changes because every moment is now. And then now is now. And now is now. <laughs> <laughs> and so on. So um, that's what meditation does for me. That's what it does for me. And it, and it helps me to regulate myself. I tried to regulate myself with alcohol and drugs and cigarettes and food uh, and things like that. And meditation helps me to self-regulate. And we always need to do that. You obviously have a pretty good understanding at this point of that idea of self-regulation. Was there a catalyst and a point, and maybe it was that point of turning sober, like what got you to find this, this Chinese medical school and these different understandings of, of how to take different routes of self-regulation? What, what was that, that, that kind of triggered that search for meaning or search for an understanding? It's a beautiful question. Thank you, Jordan. <laughs> What led me to Chinese medicine was that I was a Pilates instructor in New York after having a long dance career in New York City and eventually leading me to um, dancing on Broadway and Disney's The Lion King. I wanted something new to learn. I wanted something that I could, I could share with my clients that I had who had various health issues and, and were dealing with different types of emotional um, states and I just wanted something that I could use to help them. I didn't realize that it was going to help me the most. So I began the journey of, of, of uh, studying that. And I eventually ended up moving from New York to California to do so. And uh, went to Chinese medicine school. And um, I didn't stay there for the entire four years. I actually left early because I just decided that it wasn't quite the right thing for me. Um, but what I did realize is that Qigong was the medicine that I was supposed to learn about and get and, and use for myself. And as I said earlier in this interview, uh, it was a very stressful time for me being in Chinese medicine school and it brought up a lot of old stuff. And, and because it was very triggering for me, I quickly became dysregulated. I was having anxiety attacks. I was having, um, a lot of panic. I was sweaty palms before an exam. I was be in my car crying because I, I, I had to go in and take a test. And I was just so worried. Just so much was happening for me at that time. And one of the things that helped me was Qigong. Like I would step into that classroom, listen to my teacher lecture about the subject, uh, take us through a physical practice. And I suddenly began to feel better. I suddenly, my shoulders, which were in my ears to start, suddenly would drop down away from my ears. My breathing, which would be short and choppy uh, because I was in the stress mode, I was having a stress response, 
would suddenly drop down to my belly and I would suddenly feel more regulated. And my mind that was running with fear and anxiety and worry would suddenly not be going round and around on the hamster wheel. And I began to just be in the present moment and trust this process that I was in. And so that's when I began to understand how powerful this medicine is for self-regulation. I knew from that moment on that it would be something that I could do to help myself and my recovery. And I knew that I could teach it to others because I've been teaching movement to people for years. And I thought, well, I can certainly do this as well. And, um, and then I, I went about the process of beginning of getting certified in Qigong. And so I can go out there and share the practice with other people. And that's what I've been doing for years now. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but in the book, it's, it sounded like you didn't necessarily hit like a low, like that proverbial, like low point, whenever you decided to get sober, it was just kind of like an understanding of like, I don't want this anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. What, what do you think? helped or prompted you to to kind of come to that realization hmm well it's true people would say that my bottom was was not a low bottom that i had a more of a, a higher bottom i didn't lose everything mm -hmm. and that's the thing we don't have to lose everything in order to understand that that there is a unhealthy dependence on things outside of ourselves to help us feel better in life to help us cope and that was for me, my, my friend, and who was also my first sponsor said to me that instead of taking the elevator down to the basement, I got off maybe on the first floor, <laughs> oh, <that's good. laughs> you know, um, and I think that that's true. So it's different for everyone. For me, it was a, it was more of an emotional, spiritual bottom. I would oftentimes wake up in the morning during that period of my life. And part of me would be upset that I actually woke up because I, I just was so miserable and just felt so isolated or desperate. And I remember looking at myself in the mirror during that time and just not recognizing who I saw in the mirror because I was saying things in my life and doing things in my life that just didn't seem like the Stephen that I knew. Like my values had changed because it was my life was really focused around um, the drugs and the alcohol and the pursuit of it or the recovery from it. Uh, that endless cycle. And so for me, it was just being sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I feel I felt like I really got to the last house on the block before I decided to uh, get sober. And thank, thank goodness I had a really good friend who was in recovery, had been so for a very long time, uh, who just wore sobriety well. He made it look really good. Mm. And I wanted what he had. I wanted to be happier. I wanted to live a life that was more joyous. I wanted to feel the, the freedom that he so clearly demonstrated to me. And I was willing to do just about anything to do that, to get that. And so that's where it began for me. And, um, and I've just been fortunate enough to have continued every day to recommit myself to it because the life that I have today, which I think is a really good life, um, I wouldn't have it if I weren't sober. I just wouldn't. I appreciate you sharing that. That's kind of why I wanted to ask because you just, it seems so standard that everyone says I got to this bottom or whatever. And it just seemed like yours was a little bit different. I think it's important for people to realize that you don't have to make it all the way down before you, you seek out that help or, you know, kind of decide to make that change. I appreciate that. Pleasure. Uh, Thank you. You know, you, and you talk about um, a little bit about the spiritual health and part of your book to, well, I mean, it's subtitled soul care. 
what what is the difference between soul care versus what we've already kind of touched on when we said talk about our physical health and our mental health what do you consider the soul care piece of it i think soul care is soul care to me is self-care from a chinese medicine standpoint the, the body mind and the spirit are all connected they're one you can't separate them okay that it's all about energy and um the energy that runs through the body, mind, and the spirit is the same, but just different stages of manifestation. But ultimately, it's the same energy. So anything that you do to tend to your body is going to affect your mind, is going to affect your consciousness. Um, just like anything that you do to impact your, your, your mental state, your emotional state, directly affects your physical state, right? And, and, and in medicine, it's no longer... Um, it's no longer a big dispute about this mind-body connection, right? We just know it as fact now. And so soul care to me is, is, is uh, everything that I include in the book, whether it's the, the movement practices, the self-massage, the deep breathing, the meditation, the community building, the self-inquiry, uh, all the other tools, it's all self-care, soul care. So, and I'm, I'm going to, I guess I want to kind of put you on the spot here. I just want to have an understanding here. You said they manifest differently. Can you give me an example of like how, and maybe it's all connected, mm -hmm. the soul piece of it manifests differently than maybe the physical piece. Does that make sense? Or is, is, is the soul kind of the combination of both that physical and mental piece? The soul is, it's a combination. Okay. Like in, in Chinese medicine, it's that there's a beautiful analogy that's often used that when you look at a piece of ice, mm -hmm. uh, a solid piece of ice, when, um, when the ice begins to melt, it turns into water. And then once the water uh, reaches a certain temperature, it begins to evaporate and becomes mist. Right. So the actual ice is the physical body but it's also water and the water is just another manifestation of the ice and the vapor is just another manifestation of the water. And what happens is even when you look out in nature, there's this constant cycle of ice turning to water, turning to mist, mm -hmm. which turns to water again and or ice. And it's just this continuous cycle. So when we look at the, the body, mind and spirit, it's essentially the same thing according to traditional Chinese medicine. So um, it's the same energy, just like it's still H2O, right. but it's just different states of being or different states of manifestation. Does that, does that make it a little bit clearer yes. for you? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you. And uh, yeah. um, why do you think that all the forms of meditation kind of come back to breathing? I'm kind of jumping around here, but you know, when you think of the traditional type of meditation, it's always sitting there and focused on the breath to help clear your mind, even in your movement, when it talks about breathing, why is that so important to, to the meditative process? Because breath is life, right? Breath is life. Um, breath is constant. Breath is a window to the present moment. Breath is a, is a, is a tool that we can use to help us to bring about balance in homeostasis within the body and breath is it's one of those things that we all do we we take what twenty two thousand breaths in a day hmm. and but very few of us know how to breathe well right a lot of us walk around holding our breath 
and a lot of us are in a constant state of stress. So our breath is in a, we're, we're doing what's called a stress breath, which is a short breath, um, really um, upper in the chest, uh, rigid tight, as opposed to a more relaxed breath that's deeper into the body, uh, slower, and it help, can help us to regulate. But breath is, breath is a window, is a window to balance. It's a window to um, self-regulation. It's a window to the present moment. And I think that's why it's something that you see in all these different healing practices. It all gets back to the breath because breath is essentially life. I mean, without breath, we wouldn't have the opportunity to, to, to sit here and talk or to, or to sit in meditation or to move the body because it's, um, it gives life. It gives energy. According to Chinese medicine, breath, air is the most accessible form of qi, which is energy that there is. We can go for a while without eating or drinking, um, but we can't go very long without breathing. That's, it seems pretty simple when you put it that way. Um, <laughs> it, when you, and we keep going back to the, the term regulation. Is that, what is regulation? Is it just the idea that you can process things that happen in your life? You can kind of handle different scenarios you can without you know being as reactive to our outside influences what what do you think that the idea of regulation and self-regulation is i think it's all those things i think i think when when our nervous system is regulated then we are more in a balanced state of being um physiologically but also we are in a different state of mind and I think emotionally, we're in a different state when we are more regulated, when we um, are not, when our body hasn't shifted into that stress response. And the stress response, um, there's a whole cascade of things that happen when we're in a stress response, where our heart rate is elevated, we start to sweat, um, blood starts to go to the limbs because we're either going to flee or we're going to fight or we're gonna freeze, or we're gonna do something called fawn, fawning, which is to, when we're in a dangerous or what we perceive to be a dangerous situation, we're gonna to try to negotiate our way out of it. So self-regulation is, is, is the process of how do we get ourselves out of the fight, flight, freeze, fawn, and come back to a place of balance and homeostasis, um, where when we are in that, state of balance that's where the natural healing properties that exist within the body are able to turn on just like when we're in that that more relaxed state that part of the brain the amygdala which is the brain the part of the brain that is um connected to the fight flight freeze when that's active the other parts of the brain the cerebral cortex that area of the brain that's responsible for decision making judgment things like that that turns off. And that's also that part of the brain that's also connected to our ability to um, regulate ourselves. So it's like turning one off so the other, the other can turn on is all part of that process as well. So we're all trying to dance that dance of going from dysregulation to being regulated. And lots of things can make us all dysregulated. I mean, how many of us get dysregulated driving in traffic? So just ways in which that we can take care of ourselves and not be so reactive to it. And a lot of times 
we can become dysregulated by um, triggers, things that trigger things within us, like old memories, especially when it comes to trauma. Mm -hmm. So many of us have um, lived through traumatic experiences and the body stores those traumatic experiences. And once something that happens in the present moment triggers that memory, triggers that physiological response, we are dysregulated. And for many of us, we can dysregulate and dissociate and not be really present in the moment because we're we're somewhere in the past um, and not able to really respond to the moment in life um, in a very present grounded way. And so being able to have tools and, and, and part of the tools is just awareness, have awareness of, um, of ourselves and what state that we're in is really important when it comes to how to create that balance and homeostasis within the body and to regulate ourselves. How do you handle triggers? So like, I'm assuming you still have them, obviously, even though you've been, you know, dealing with these things and successfully dealing with the the addiction and recovery for 20 years now, but is there a specific plan that you have to help or process whenever a trigger comes up to help you deal with it? There are lots of things that can trigger me. Uh, at this point, there aren't many things that trigger me to want to drink. Sure, I'll have a thought of it, but it's a passing thought. It doesn't. It doesn't send me to this place where I am, um, where I feel like I'm in danger of of picking up. Um, but there's lots of things that can trigger me, that can dysregulate me, that can um, <clears throat> trigger a response in me that's very uncomfortable. And one of the things that helps me to um, respond to it in a different way is to just notice how I'm breathing. I know I keep talking about the breath a lot, but we can tell a lot about how we're feeling by how we're breathing or not breathing. And so when I feel triggered, I pay attention to how I'm breathing and I can shift how I'm breathing to shift how I'm feeling. Also, what's what I've learned over the years is that all I need is a moment of pause before I physically react or respond to something. Um, there was a time when I was actively using drugs and alcohol, or even when I was smoking cigarettes, where I would be triggered by something and I felt like I had to do something about it immediately. Mm-hmm. Like I had to, I had to distract myself. I had to numb myself. I had to do anything and everything I could to not feel my feelings. And now what I have is, it's just a moment. And all it takes is a moment or two, a pause in order for me to kind of think it through, think, think the whole thing through in terms of what am I feeling? If I, if I feel triggered to, to act out in an addictive way, I have a moment of pause long enough for me to play the tape through. Like what's going to happen if I, if I go downstairs into the wine cellar and open up a bottle of wine that belongs to my husband and have a drink? Like, it's, is it going to stop with one drink? Probably not. <clears throat> is it, would it stop in one day? Probably not. Hmm. Would I be able to do uh, manage my life the way that I manage it now if, if I had that first glass of wine because it's this because it really is the first one that will get me drunk um probably probably can't so 
that's those are some of the things that I do to help me deal with triggers and also just having a community of people when I feel like I'm triggered and I'm in a in a tricky spot I have people I can call I can share what's happening with me and when I share what's happening with me it changes what's happening it changes my response to it just hearing myself talk about what is going on allows me to just calm down a bit perhaps consider solutions that I hadn't even considered before. Um, and it just opens me up to all the um, help and support that's out there that's available to me and that's available to to many of us, all of us. I think that having that community is important in so many aspects of life. How did people first start reaching out to you to say, hey, I see that you've been successful with this. Can you help me? And I mean, that's kind of what you do for a living now. So how did that first happen? Just people recognizing that you were down that path and they kind of saw that same thing that you saw in a friend, like, Hey, sobriety looks good on, on Steven as well. Yeah. I think it started to happen when I got sober and I was just kind of living life um, in that way. And I think some people started to notice that I was changing hmm. that, that I was, there was something about me that was, that was different and they were drawn to it. And then also once I started doing the work that I do, I started traveling and um, doing uh, events and also creating content online and speaking quite freely about my recovery, people started to notice and people started to become more curious about it or sharing their own experiences around recovery and just finding me to be um, approachable and relatable. And, and, and so a lot of uh, community was built, has been built around that. And I'm so happy and I feel really blessed to be able to, to be that for many people because I know that I could not have gotten um, sober. I could not have um, gotten clean without help. I couldn't have done it my, on my own because if, if I had been able to do it, I would have done it um, right. before I did it. So I know that community is a really big part of my recovery this connection. Um, community also equals belonging. We all want to have a sense of belonging. Uh, we all, people need people. I think by our nature as human beings, we're tribal. And so having some sort of community um, helps us to manage and deal with the stresses of life so that we don't feel like we are alone and struggling to, to, to deal with it all by ourselves. Was it the community that inspired you to write the book hmm yeah in part in part I wanted to I wanted to create uh well first of all the book was based on an online course that I that I created I think back in 2018 and I knew that when I created that course that that was just the beginning of the conversation I was going to have about uh these practices and how they can help anyone in addiction recovery um or, or just in life in general so that's where it began. And I, I felt this call to be of service to others and to bring this, this um, medicine to people because it had helped me so much. And I knew that it, I'm not so unique. It would help other people as well. So that was a big thing. And then also I wrote the book and I didn't realize this when I was writing it to um, continue to heal myself. Mm. It's been quite a healing journey for me to write the book. And then also to talk about the book as much as I've been talking about it and to um, 
and to just be an ambassador for it in the world. Uh, I didn't realize how much more of myself I needed to recover (laughs) and rediscover uh, in life. And I think that that's something that happens to all of us once we start to um, unpack certain aspects of life and start to uncover and discover and heal. That's that's pretty cool to actually put it in writing too. Like you had all these you know, ideas of these different practices and how it helped you. So then to put it in writing for other people to have access to is pretty cool. And, you know, in one point you say that in the book to change our circumstances and improve our lives, we first have to shift our negative perceptions about ourselves in the world. How do you recommend that people do that? Because it's easy to, to kind of stay in the negative and to, I mean, that's a lot of what we see. So how do we start to, to shift our mindsets around that? I think the first thing to do is to just become aware of your thoughts, become aware of the types of thoughts that you have. And the thoughts that we have tend to be repetitive, Uh tend to have a certain energy, certain tone. Uh, I think if, if you're someone who tends to be more pessimistic, your thought processes are going to be more pessimistic. You're going to be looking more at what you don't have instead of what you do have in life um what you can be looking more at what's what's what you perceive to be wrong about your life um or wrong about other people than what's right so just becoming aware of that and having an understanding that that the perceptions that you have is just one way to look at something it's just one way there's so many different ways that we can um, look at life, that we can interpret life, that we can um, view it. And so that I think is the, like the first step and just being open to the idea that there is another way of, of being, there's another way of, of perceiving things. And then from there, starting to just challenge those thoughts and those ideas and those beliefs. Like if you have a certain thought or belief, you can start to ask yourself, well, is that really true? Is that true? And if you honestly ask yourself that question, you might discover that it might not be true, that there are different ways that we can perceive things. When I first got sober, my uh, friend, and who turned out to be my first sponsor, used to tell me that addiction is the, a disease of the mind and the, the disease of like the perceptions. And I, and, I, and I began to understand that so much of it is just focused on Um, or centered in my mind in terms of how I view the world and how I view myself, Um, the negative self-talk I would have, the things I would say to myself are things that I I, I couldn't even imagine saying to another person, let alone say to myself. And so just becoming more conscious and aware of that and working to to shift that is life-changing because I think when we, when we have a more pessimistic, pessimistic, uh, point of view, I think the world gets so much smaller. I feel like when I'm in pessimism, my world gets so much smaller. But when I'm more optimistic, it makes me more hopeful and it makes my world expand. And there's just so many more possibilities and opportunities. Um, so perceptions, is a it's a big part of this whole puzzle when it comes to um, addiction and and moving out of addiction more into recovery and moving into the potential and possibility around recovery it's a it's an important piece when we, when we talk about 
um, changing our perceptions. You also mentioned that like trusting or even the thought of a higher power didn't come natural to you in that early, in those early stages. How did your perceptions around that change and why was that helpful for you? Well, when I first got sober, I mean, I've always believed in a power greater than myself. I've always believed in a, in some sort of a a God. Um, I didn't always believe that God believed in me, but I always believed in something. That's how I was raised. Um, But I didn't, I didn't feel like there was a place for me in a lot of those communities where, where, where that higher power was worshiped. Mm. And so um, it wasn't until I got sober and started attending 12-step recovery that I had the opportunity to re-examine my relationship with my with a higher power and I was able to redefine it for myself um, and come up with a power my own conception of a higher power Uh, and that was life-changing for me because I had a lot of I carried a lot of shame with me and and being able to create my own conception of a higher power that was loving and accepting and kind and funny and um, and clever was a way for me to heal a lot of that. And when you have, at least for me, having a connection to a power greater than myself helps me to deal with life, helps me to show up for life because I feel as though I have um, just another layer of support. I was hurt, I, what I heard at the very beginning of my sober journey that it's important to have some sort of connection to some sort of higher power. And for a lot of people, their higher power is nature. It's not this, you know, gray haired figure in the, in the sky. Um, Just having something to root you and to ground you and also to lift you up when you need it. Because when you're in trouble and you think you might pick up, you might not be able to get a hold of someone Um, on the phone or you might not be able to get to a meeting but you can always pray you can always have that connection to that to that higher power um, to help uh, soothe you and to help um, calm you and to steady you so faith I talk about that a lot in the book yes a faith and a power greater than ourselves but also a faith in yourself too Um, how to build a faith in yourself, because I think through the addiction journey, we kind of lose faith in ourselves for a period of time because we've made promises to ourselves and to other people. And we, you know, we aren't successful. We weren't successful at keeping those promises. So you kind of lose faith. And, and I feel as though all of that is, is connected because it gives us a sense of optimism about life. How did, I'm really curious about how did you traditional religious structure can definitely make someone like yourself feel ostracized and not loved and i could understand why you felt like well the the higher power isn't going to love me the same way that you know he does other people or he does other people how did you start to identify this you said that you kind of found that your higher power could be you know funny and caring and accepting was this through prayer or how did you actually start to identify this this different version for yourself well, because people would talk about their their higher power in, in recovery meetings, and I got to hear and get a window into the experiences of other people. And then I realized just how much potential there was for me and my higher power and, and, and how expansive my conception of my higher power could be. 
mm-hmm. um, I realized that there weren't any limits. And that was incredible because I felt like before there was really nothing but limits to to my relationship with this with that power because um, my conception of it was very small and very narrow because that's what I learned. That's what I was taught. And, uh, and recovery just sh- showed me that, there's, that it's so much more and it could be whatever it is that I need it to be. And that alone has been incredibly nourishing for me over the last 20 years. And it's, a, and it's something that's continued to grow and develop and change um, over time. Uh, I love I love talking to my higher power. I love listening. My higher power and I are like this. <laughs> and I feel as though it guides me in a way that nourishes me even more now than it did then, which is an interesting thing to consider. This may be getting too deep, but do you consider that higher power like this, the typical like Christian God, or is it a different construct or a different ideology that you've kind of... It's different. Met? Okay. It's different. It gets even away from that because I, I honestly, I feel as though it's all energy. Yeah. Um, and energy is energy and it, and it, and it doesn't have a face and it doesn't have a religion and it doesn't have this or doesn't have that. It just has an energy. And is that energy of love? Is it of acceptance? Is it of tolerance? Is it of joy? Yeah. I look at it more like that. I feel it intuitively like that. No, I, I just, I think I was asking more for myself because I've, I, I grew up in a, in a Christian, you know, home and it's like, you struggle with that idea because there's so many limitations on what you're taught or what you're kind of led to believe that this, that, 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 that higher power is, but it's like, you feel like there's something there, but it, it, it feels more like an energy, like you kind of said. So I just wanted to get your perspective on that. Mm-hmm. And how do you then, whenever you talk about like prayer and as part of the meditative process, how do you talk to this higher power? Is it the same way as you would a friend? Like, is it, how, how do you, how do you do it yourself? Well, I'm talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the best. Those are the best moments of prayer for me yeah. is when I'm talking to my higher power, like I'm talking to you and my higher power can take it when I'm angry, can take it when I'm sad, can take it all. Uh, my higher power doesn't take um, any of it personally, like a person would. <laughs> right. So I feel like those are the best moments, best, best moments of connection that I have with my higher power is when it's that casual, that simple, and sometimes less words is better for me. Yeah. Cause, cause, cause I feel as though when I say things out loud to my higher power, that's just more for me. My higher power doesn't need to hear me say anything because it knows and loves me for exactly who I am and what I am. Um, But saying things aloud allows me to have my own um, process play out for me in order for me to understand it, in order for me to shift and grow and change through it and navigate. That's pretty cool. What do you hope that people get out of the book when they read it? I hope they get a sense that they're not alone in whatever it is that they're challenged by and we all are dealing with challenges i hope that they realize that they are worthy of recovery of transformation of change and then i hope they also they also take home with them a collection of tools that they could use to help them live better lives more conscious joyous and 
healthier and happier lives. Are there other resources or ways to get in touch with you that people can, um, you know, that have more questions or that, you know, want to be part of a community? What are some ways or things that you recommend people do? Yeah, I have a online membership community called the SWE Studio, where I teach a fusion class of Pilates and Qigong, but I also offer laughter medicine, dance, meditation, and other wellness um, material over 300 videos in my in my library and it's all really about self-care helping people to take better care of themselves the book provides so many tools for self-care and i feel as though swe studio is a continuation of that and a building of a self-care practice that really is designed to meet all your needs for people who want to learn more about that and all my other offerings just go to my website stephenwashingtonexperience.com you can also get links to all of my social media um, platforms where I offer a lot of content and a lot of free stuff too, but I also have a lot of online courses. I just re- I just released a course called 30 Days of Wellbeing, 30 short practices to help people energize their body, balance their emotions and calm their mind and other wellness um, tools within that too. So be sure to check that out um, all at stephenwashingtonexperience.com. Perfect. What's one piece of advice that you would tell a listener to, to apply to their life, to, to kind of get down that path of self-care and maybe for, or maybe recovery. Don't never give up. I like it. Don't never give up. Steve, I can't thank you enough for the, the time today and truly an enlightening conversation for me. And I think for listeners as well. Thank you so much, Jordan. It's great to be here with you. Lovely to chat with you.